Well, amen. Um, you know, we are going to continue in our study of Genesis, cha- of Genesis. And why don't you guys open on up to Genesis chapter 3. You know, and I feel like honestly with this sermon and with this chapter in Genesis, there is really no need for an introduction. I feel like this is one of those chapters in the Bible that just kind of sets the rest of the Bible in motion. This is one of those passages where we introduce all the lead characters in the story of God and man. We get to see everybody. We get to see God's plan brought out into full light. We get to see how our relationship with God and how that works. And how our relationship with Satan and how that works. So I feel like, you know, this is just an incredible passage. I'm not even going to get an introduction. We're just going to jump right into it. You guys okay with that? All right. The title of today's lesson is The Inevitable Defeat. I'm going to turn the wireless one off and just go on the main one because it's popping too much. All right, Genesis chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God has, uh, had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, or you certainly will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And stop right there. You know, Satan or the serpent asks Eve this incredible question. It tells us so much. It asks her, did God really tell you not to eat from any tree in the garden? And you notice... We see the introduction of Satan here as in the form of a serpent. And we see exactly what Satan does. He twists the truth. He twists it ever so slightly. He doesn't come at Eve. And this perfect garden that we learned about last week from Matt. And this perfect paradise where everything was just perfectly unified. Man and God walked together. And here comes the serpent. Twisting slightly, ever so slightly, the truth of what God said. God said, yes, you can eat from any of the trees, any of them except one. Don't eat from the tree of good and evil. And what Satan does here is he introduces this idea to Eve that God is unreasonable. That somehow God's rules, God's laws, God's what he says is unreasonable. It's unfair that you shouldn't have to abide by what God says. And in fact, God perhaps wants to hold you back. He wants to hold you back from being like him, from experiencing true joy, true freedom. And like I said, this is crazy to think the serpent approaching Eve in this situation that, that they're in. You can imagine every single need. They don't have a worry in the world. This is so foreign for us even to imagine the fact that God is literally taking care of your every need. He is waking you up. He's walking with you. He's feeding with you. No sickness, nothing. You and God, it is perfect. And yet, Satan comes in and is able to plant 
one little thought that maybe God is trying to hold you back. Maybe your life isn't as good as you think it is. You know, John chapter 8, Jesus calls Satan the father of all lies. He says that his native tongue is lies. I don't know about you. I don't know how many languages you guys are able to speak. Uh, me, I, I'm going to say I'm gonna, I speak one language. Uh, I passed Spanish three. It was very, very rough. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you. I think the only reason I passed that class was because my teacher started coming out to church and became friends with, with my mom. And she just liked me from then on out. And I don't know. I just said the same things over and over again in Spanish class on those like recordings. Like, what did you do today? I would say the same thing over and over again. How are you feeling? Same thing. I, I'm, I don't remember any of it. I am not fluent in Spanish, but most of us are fluent in just one language. And kind of the test for fluency is if you can think in that language, right? Without even, I know it's going to sound kind of strange, without even thinking about it. That you just walk around and when you see things, you think in that language. For most of us, that is English, right? Is that we, we are fluent in English, so when we walk into church, we think our thoughts are in English, and what it's saying here is that Satan, literally, he thinks in lies. His native tongue is deceit to the point where that's just, it just flows out of him without even thinking. He doesn't have to try at all. Even to the point that he can't tell the difference between a truth and a lie. And this is what he, this is what we're introduced to as this character, as this Satan right here, as the serpent. That he is the father of all lies. The interesting thing too here is that Satan, he doesn't try to get Eve. I don't know if you noticed. He doesn't try to get Eve to follow him. Satan doesn't want you to follow him. I hate to break it to you. He just doesn't. His one goal is that he doesn't want you to follow God. He wants to twist and manipulate the truth, God's truth, his perfect word, so that you have doubt in God, doubt in his security, doubt in his plan, doubt in his power. This is something we see constantly, constantly in our society. And we even take the idea of sex outside of marriage. Right? I mean, that's kind of, kind of the obvious um, example that, that a lot of ministers, a lot of sermons have been preached about. You know, that society has somehow twisted, Satan has twisted the idea of sex and said, hey, it's okay, God's holding out on you. Go ahead, don't wait for marriage. That's just God's rules. He doesn't know. I, I think we're all familiar with that one from a biblical preacher standpoint. I'm not saying whether you agree with it or not, but I think that you... We're all on the same page. But let's take it one step further. Let's talk about the idea of pornography. Pornography right now in our society is pretty much accepted. As, hey, this is just a part of life. This is, it's okay to do that as long as you keep a little bit quiet. Don't, don't broadcast it, you know, but it's okay if you look at pornography every once in a while. Maybe just don't look at the weird stuff, but it's okay. I mean, I'm serious. Like, I'm just, I'm just being real. When you go into your office, it's a topic to be discussed. No one says, oh, oh my gosh, did you just say that? Nobody cares. Everybody's okay with it. Now, Satan has told us that it's not bad. He's lied to our society. That it's only images. It's at an arm's reach. And it's, that it's not that bad. It's not like you're cheating on your spouse. 
It's not like you're having sex with these individuals. It's just an image. You're just trying to, you know, enjoy what God has created, aren't you? It begins to corrupt your mind. It begins to corrupt who you are, your view of sex, your view of the opposite sex. It begins to taint the way you view God's creation. God's good creation. God's good plan for sex within the boundaries of marriage. We see that Satan, he doesn't, he's not trying to get you to follow him at this moment. He's trying, not trying to make you a disciple of him. He's just trying to pull you away from God's good truth. From God's security. He wants to enslave you. Now you can replace pornography, sex out of marriage with anything that you want. To show, to demonstrate the way that Satan deceives us and twists the truth. Maybe it's just deceit itself. For your, maybe you have a hard time telling the truth. Telling the whole truth. Maybe it's pride that you just don't want to listen to anybody. That you know better. Maybe it is just faithlessness in God himself. Maybe it's your insecurities. Then God has made you good. How is Satan? How has he deceived you today? What kind of lies have you bought into that go against perhaps the word of God? That go against what God himself has instructed you to do? Now, Satan... He's good at what he does. He deceives and twists the truth ever so slightly to get you to turn away from God and to look at yourself. Let's keep on reading here in verse six. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Most believe that he was that he was with her the whole time. He didn't say anything, apparently. And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Some translations actually talk about that the sound of God as he walked was like was like a storm. So that's how they could hear him. It wasn't that he was knocking over trees. It was that the presence of God was like a storm. Which to me is like, that's, that's powerful. And they hid from God, the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. We laugh, but you've been there. Verse 13, it says, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. We see here that Eve, she sees that the fruit is good and earlier... In chapter 2, we see that, you know what God calls all the fruit? Good. So she sees that, hey, that looks good as well. I want some more. I know, God, you've given me the good fruit already, but I want that good fruit. So she takes it and eats it, hands it to her husband. And and immediately as we read the text, their eyes are opened. They have a knowledge of good and evil. You know, and it's interesting here, too, to point out at this moment, guess what? They don't become like God. Did you, did you guys catch that? Yeah. All of a sudden, they have an understanding of good and evil. So what do they get? Shame. Yeah. 
They understand the consequences. They understand what good and evil is all of a sudden. They have that knowledge. And so what do they do with it? They feel shame. They feel shame because of their nakedness and they hide from God. This one perf- this once perfect relationship with them walking together. They're now hiding from him. I think all of us understand shame at a certain level. It's something that's that, that's almost born into us. I know when my two boys were young, I could hear younger than they are now. They're still very young, 7 to 5. I could hear Levi in the backyard, who's about the age of 1, a little over 1, screaming bloody murder. And for any of you that are parents, you've probably been in that situation. You can hear one kid screaming and another one not screaming. You know something went down, right? (laughs) So I come walking outside and I see my older son, Maddox. He is holding a hose behind him. (laughs) Silently. As my other son at one and not really able to, you know, totally tell me what happened. But uh, being the smart dad that I am, I put one and two together. And I turn to my son, Maddox, and... I asked Maddox, what did you do? He said, nothing. I did nothing. I'm like, but Maddox, you're holding the hose and your brother's crying and he's pointing towards the hose and you, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that you hit him with the hose. And he kind of looks, looks down, you know, and looks back up and he's like, well, dad, and gives me this reason. He says, dad, I'm Spider-Man and he's a bad guy. I was like, Fair, it's fair enough, I guess. Logical, a three-year-old's mind. But even at this young age, we can see the demonstration of sin and shame. That Maddox, he knew that he wasn't supposed to hit Levi, especially with the hose. And what does he do? He hides it. He hides it from his father. As soon as I come in, I'm hoping there was unity and peace in the yard before that. But then I come in and he hides from me. This is the same thing we do constantly with our father. This is what we see that Adam and Eve did with their father. They fall into sin and all of a sudden, shame comes on them. And what do they do? They hide. You see that shame itself makes its first um, appearance of all time. And thus the cycle is born. This cycle of sin followed by shame. And... I'm going to tell you right now, this was Satan's plan all along. Satan had thought through his multiple stage plan. He thought, I'm going to get you to listen to me. I'm going to get you not to listen to God. I'm going to get you to fall into sin. And then you're going to feel bad about it. And then do you know what you're going to do to make yourself feel better? You're going to sin again. And then do you know what's going to happen? You're going to feel shame. And you're going to feel this, this hole. And what are you going to do? You're going to hide from your father. And you're going to go look for something to fill that hole. And what you're going to find, and do you know what I'm going to be right there waiting for you to offer you? More sin. And thus, the, the, the cycle continues over and over and over again. You know, for me as a young man, I was introduced to um, pornography at a very young age in Los Angeles, California. Matter of fact, you can get pornography um, on the street corners by just putting a quarter into the paper machines. Nobody there to check your age. No one to ask any questions. You can just go there, take it out. My friends and I discovered this. And my eyes were opened. You know, at a very young age. You know, and this started me on a cycle of sin. 
a cycle of sin and shame that, that I would look at this pornography. It was followed up by impurity. And then I would feel shame about who I was, about what I had done. And it would weigh heavy on my shoulders. And, I, and it would sit with me for a couple of days and to, to the point where I was just like, I couldn't take anymore and I just had to feel better about myself. And I knew what would make me feel better. More pornography. And that cycle continued and continued through my high school years, even as a disciple of Jesus. I struggled with it. There were victories. I had victories. I had victories sometimes for months, six months, a year at a time. But then Satan knew, let me just throw it back at you again. Let me just twist the truth for you a little bit more. And the cycle followed me into college. But now, like as I had said, with greater gaps in between my sinful lapses, if that's what you want to call them. You know, to a point where even I felt like I have this under control. That it doesn't really mess me up that much. I'm not as bad as I used to be. Satan twisting the truth. I felt like, you know what? I've confessed this so many times. I've talked about this. I've read books. I've talked to people. I've prayed about it. I've read scriptures. I've memorized scriptures. Maybe this is just the way God made me. Maybe this is just my plight in life. Satan twisting the truth ever so slightly. And it followed me into my marriage. I believed even the slight, the lie of Satan that, you know, once I'm married, it's all going to go away. It's all going to go away. You won't struggle with that anymore. It wasn't true. It would come back in every three, four months. I would talk to my wife and she would look at me and she couldn't understand why I would do these things. I felt hopeless. I felt like I couldn't break this cycle. I could relate to the Romans chapter 7 passage where Paul talks about this war inside him. Of sin and righteousness. That he wants to do what is right, but he can't. I wanted to do good, but I couldn't. The same cycle that Adam and Eve were introduced to. That Satan had led them into this cycle. The same cycle that captures many of us. The same cycle that we, even though we may not believe it, are in right now. That Satan has twisted the truth, pulled you into the cycle of sin and shame. So this is what what we have so far within our text. A serpent who twists the truth so well that he's able to break the the most perfect scenario ever. Leading man to doubt and to turn from God. And he has introduced a continuous cycle that seems to have no break, to have no chink in its chain of sin and shame. Let's keep on reading. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and, your, and the woman. And between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor that you will give 
with painful labor, you will give birth to two children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to your wife and ate the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Uh, By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you are taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will uh, return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the tree of life. We see here that God removes man, Adam and Eve, as a consequence of their actions. They are now removed from the Garden of Eden. This This is not a punishment. This is not a legalistic God who said, you broke my rules and now I remove you. Done. I'm not willing to talk about it. What we see here, this was Adam's choice. That God laid out the perfect scenario. Said, but you just got to do one thing. Here's the deal. You live in my garden. I take care of you. You rely on me. I'll take care of all your needs. But don't eat from that tree. Don't eat from that tree. That's my one thing. Adam couldn't do it. It was Adam's choice. In the garden, man relied on God for everything. But he didn't want to rely on God any longer. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. He wanted to make his choices. He wanted to eat what he wanted to eat. And to do what he wanted to do. And so the consequences reflect that exact choice. That Adam, you will rely on yourself now. You're going to have to make your own food. You're going to have to deal with it on your own. And the garden was free and easy, but not any longer. It's going to take work. The sweat of your brow now to provide for yourself. You want to rely on yourself? Go for it. To the woman, a lot of argument has been made about what does this text mean? Why does it say that her desire is going to be for her husband? Let me put this before you. Before the fall, Eve relied on God. She turned her back on God. And God said, we had a perfect relationship, Eve. Now you're going to rely on Adam. You don't want to rely on me? You're going to have to rely on somebody else. So we see that their punishment is exactly what they wanted. Yeah, that's right. They can make their own choices now. And even the things that he, he, he punishes them with or, or gives them the consequences, these are what they would find fulfillment in. Man, you want to find a great job? You want to work hard? That's what's going to give you fulfillment? Go for it. Woman, you're going to love your family. You want to have kids? You want to be on your own? You got to go find your fulfillment on your own. I think this is God does this to remind them. To remind them of, hey, remember when I took care of all your needs. Remember when you're frustrated out there. Remember when you're giving painful childbirths. Remember when, when you don't want to listen to your husband. That well, you had it perfect. But you walked away from that scenario. 
You know, a lot of people will call this the curse of sin, the fall of man, man's curse. But notice who God curses. I want you to notice that. Look at this text. This is something I personally haven't picked up on until I was preparing for the sermon. That God curses the serpent. He tells him that you're going to crawl on your belly. You're going to eat dust. Life's going to be horrible for you. But not man. He doesn't curse man. He doesn't curse woman. He curses the land. But he doesn't curse man. Even though they disobeyed. Even though they followed Satan. Even though... It's, it it, it kind of seems like God's playing favorites here, honestly. He looks at Satan, doesn't even ask Satan for um, explanation of what happened. Did you notice that? He asked Adam and Eve both, hey, why'd you do this? They give him an answer. He looks at Satan, doesn't ask him anything. Just says, you're cursed. It's like, whoa, how, did, how is that even fair? Can't you give him a shot? Can't he explain himself? But he only curses the serpents. And even in their punishment, it seems like God is holding out hope and still providing for them. For Adam, he says, you're going to work hard, but I'm still going to provide for you all the days of your life. You're still going to have food every day. Woman, you're going to have children to carry on your legacy. And even after this, we see that he makes clothes for them. He says, hey, I understand you feel naked now. I'm going to take care of your needs. Even before that, God... Even though he saw them sin, even though he saw them take the fruit, asks probably one of, to me, one of the most impactful lines in the whole Bible. Where are you? He wants to know, where where is my son? Where is my daughter? I see that you've sinned. I see that you've entered into this cycle of sin and shame. But where are you? I still want you close to me. Through everything, God still gives hope. Through even the punishment, through the consequences of their sin, that we still see hope. That he searches for them, clothes them, takes care of their needs, even though they sin. But the most powerful thing of all that he does here is he breaks the alliance between Satan and man. In verse 15, it says, And I will put in in amenity, that's a really hard word for me to say, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He says, you're going to have, you and man, the woman's offspring, you guys are going to be enemies. You're going to fight back and forth. You will not be on the same team any longer. You will no longer fight and join up against me. I will separate that. And you know what's going to happen? Woman's seed, her offspring, will one day crush your head. And her offspring, we know, become Abraham. And later on, the house of Israel. And then the many tribes, and out of those tribes comes Jesus. Amen. And eventually what happens is you, Christian. Yeah. Now there is defeat in the garden. You know, it's just going to happen. It's going to happen in your life. It's going to happen in my life. Yeah. That there's going to be defeat, that we will turn from God. We will listen to Satan's lies. We will be stuck in this continual cycle of sin. There's two ways to look at this passage. You can look at it and say, okay, this is just the defeat of man. I'm giving up. I'm throwing in the towel. Or you can look at this. This is man's defeat. But this is God's victory. You know that we have a deceitful serpent, but he will be crushed. We have a cycle of sin, but it will be broken. 
And our relationship with God will be restored once again. You know, for me, it was this victory that I had to eventually, even as a Christian, learn that was still there. That it was my defeat. I am a defeated individual. I don't have the power to break my cycle of sin. I can muster up all the strength, all the programs, all the blocks on my computer. I can do whatever I can. I can throw at it. But I can't defeat it. I'm defeated. I'm only a man. Only through Christ. Through the eventual son that will crush the head of the serpent. Through his death on the cross. Will bring me victory in my life. And that's what I had to learn. And that's what I really had to get in touch with. Was that I am broken. I am defeated. But it's Christ that lifts me up. It's Christ that allows me to be victorious over my sin. It's by the grace of God that I've been pure for over nine years at this, this moment in time. And, and I'll tell you one thing. It's, it's because of my reliance on God. It's restoring the relationship that I had with God. Similar to in, in the beginning that we read about here. That it's not about me. I rely on God for my needs. I turn to God to solve my issues. To fill, when I fall into sin, I don't feel the shame, but I give it over to God. That He provides a way out. But what about you today? Have you listened to the lies? The corruption of the truth? The twisting of God's words? Or perhaps are you hopelessly stuck in a cycle of sin and shame? And you actually have bought in that this is as good as it gets. We got to turn back and rely on our Father. The one who has been searching for you every day. Calling out to you, where are you? My son, my daughter. I know what you're going through. Let me provide for you. Let me give you a solution. You know, God has been searching for you and this is the same God that has set up a victor for you over Satan. God never cursed you. So stop living like it. He didn't leave you to fend off Satan on your own. So stop fighting the battle by yourself. He didn't leave you in a cycle of sin and shame. So break free. He's meant for you to be victorious. To have a relationship with him. Like we see here in perfect unity. Reliance on him. That all your needs are met. We got to... Get rid of the lies. Break free of the cycle of sin and shame. So my challenge for you today is for you to trash the lies. To look and ask yourself, what kind of lies have I been following from Satan? Have I bought in to some of these twisted truths? And to break the power. And to break the cycle of sin and shame. Maybe you just need to look at your life and really ask yourself, am I in this cycle today? Is this my reality that I am stuck in this cycle? This is just who I am. So to trash those lies, to figure out if you are in this cycle and to see your need for a savior. And if, let me just say this, if you're, this is the first time you're coming out, maybe you've been coming out for a while and you've been asked to study the Bible, do it. Open up the scriptures. Look back. You want to rely on God? I'll tell you where, well, I'll tell you where to start. Actually see what God has to say. Yes, yeah. 
I'm just up here just bringing the word to you. Sit down with somebody, please. You are meant to be victorious. You're meant to have that relationship with God. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're a baptized Christian, amen. Let me just remind you, you are not meant to live in that cycle of sin and shame. Turn back to God and break that cycle. I'll close with this. In the last, in verse 24, it says that God placed a cherubim at the gate. It's interesting that the, the idea of a cherubim is basically a, a, like a, a, a warrior angel kind of. He's an intimidating angel type figure. And these, this, this cherubim, if you look at Exodus chapter 25, you can just write it down. This cherubim is what is placed on the curtain of, in the temple of God that separates man from the Holy of Holies. An image of the cherubim to remind the people that you can't go in here. Just like the garden, you are now on the outside. God's in. You made your choice. You're on the outside. Here's this guardian between you and the Holy of Holies where God himself resides. We see this idea of the cherubim follows through. But we also see in Matthew chapter 27, the seed of man, the offspring of Eve herself. When he is, Jesus is crucified, that curtain is torn. That curtain that had that cherubim displaying the guardian, the barrier between you and God has now been torn. Now giving you free access to have that restored relationship. The way that it was in the garden so long ago. And it's the same for you today. That curtain has been torn. That cherubim has been lifted. You have free access to God. But you just have to turn back to him. So as we read chapter three, you can view it, like I said, two different ways. The fall of man or the victory of God. Let us take confidence in the victory of God. Amen. Thank you.